You're listening to the Weekly Wrap-Up on Sprott Money News. Happy Friday from Sprott Money News. It's SprottMoney.com. It's Friday, June the 12th, 2020, and it's time for your Weekly Wrap-Up. I'm your host, Craig Hemke, and joining us as usual this Friday morning is Eric Sprott. Eric, good morning. Hey, Craig. Uh, wild and crazy week so far, and we might get a little more wildness here today in the precious metals side. Uh, lots of things to chat about. Lots of things to chat about. And we, of course, always try to answer your questions uh, that you send in through submissions at SprottMoney.com. But I encourage you to use that line also for questions for this month's Ask the Expert segment coming up next week, where Eric is certainly an unabashed expert in the precious metals. So is Ronnie Sturfala. Ronnie, a friend of mine, I'd like to say, who is uh, the principal author of the annual In Gold We Trust report, which is something I know Eric reads, I read every year. Everybody in the precious metal sector looks forward to the In Gold We Trust report. So Ronnie is someone who uh, is very well versed in the industry and can answer any question you have. And so we'd love to have you send in some questions again uh, submissions at SprottMoney.com. We'll record that next week, get it posted by late next week, so you can hear your questions answered. Uh, Eric, I got a lot of questions for you, that's for sure. Uh, like, what the heck happened yesterday? But for for the week, after the terrible week we had last week, uh, gold's up pretty good, uh, about $65 as we speak. Silver's up 30 or 40 cents. How you feeling this Friday morning? Well, pretty good, uh because we've got a continuation of the gold rally here this morning. I think the closing high on the uh, the spot retail sales is uh, 1748, and we're within spitting distance of that. I think we're 1741 now. So it should be good. I think uh, the, the market breaking yesterday, of course, should be positive for uh, people who care about safety. And it looks like that's playing out here today. Unfortunately for all of us, this uh, COVID-19 is not going away quickly. And in fact, the biggest concern in the market is this uh, supposed second wave. Uh, And of course, we've seen 22 states that have dramatically increasing cases, which is a very, very bad sign. Yeah. And, And from an economic perspective, I mean, I just can't even imagine. It's bad enough that we've been... I mean, I've been shut down here for three and a half months now, and I'd hate to think that it went longer and or even worse, that we ought, that, that there is no return to normal, which is, I think, what one should fear here, that things aren't going to ever be the normal that we had before, unless there's some vaccine, uh, hopefully, that someone can come up with here. But the economic uh wasteland out there is becoming incredibly dramatic uh the deficits that governments must be running up and not just the federal government but the state governments city governments all of whom aren't receiving taxes and yet probably have greater expenses today than they've ever had because of the trying to support uh the the population so it's not good what's happening here uh, it's, uh, we've always known it was virulent. That's the one thing that we know COVID-19 is all about. I think we got to, got to sort of live through this and yep. we're going to have to, uh, develop a herd immunity and or a vaccine, but I just can't imagine that we're all going to go into lockdown again. Well, the Fed certainly is making it look that way, Eric. They, 
in the FOMC this week, it was all about, hey, we're going to pump as much cash and keep interest rates at zero for as long as possible. And I think the Fed realizes that uh, it's not going to be a V-shaped recovery at all. Like, even the word recovery might be come into question here if we have to continue in the manner that we are today, because weakness begets weakness. The whole this possible tsunami of defaults here, whether it's people, corporations, governments, uh, that that can't be ruled out, and that's going to be an ever-present thing. So, you know, am I surprised that the market sold off like it did yesterday? No, I'm not, because the, the economic outlook is very weak. And we had rampant speculation happening in the stock market where retail investors were buying big parts of the market. And, of course, your favorite thing is buying calls. Well, you know, you can make money quickly, but, boy, you sure can lose it quickly. That and the fact that uh, the put call got whacked out, uh, that the uh, retail was such a large part of the market, are telling you these are signs of a top. And, of course, it broke hard yesterday. And uh, we got a lot of work to do to try to get this economy uh, back into shape here. How about some of the mainstream stuff we're seeing? Uh, some pretty big names out there talking about gold and the value of having gold and silver in an environment like this. Yeah, I'd actually like to talk about three people that made interesting comments uh, during the week. The first one is Stephen Roach commenting on the U.S. dollar and be basically saying it's over for the U.S. dollar. And of course, he's not the only person saying that, but uh, he came out and uh, and suggested it. Uh, we also have Jeff Gronlock, the, the the new the Bond King, and what's his favorite thing to invest in? Gold. Um, and on that front, uh, Scott Miner from Guggenheim was interviewed on CNBC yesterday, and I heard heard and I wish I could replay it, but I'm absolutely convinced he said he's a bear that. He has as much money invested in silver and gold, particularly with the emphasis on silver, because hardly anybody ever mentioned silver. So I found that very interesting. Then he does in equities. And, of course, you know, lots of people think, uh, you know, anybody who has over 10% in gold and silver is is being uh, a ridiculous <laughs> speculator. Right. And as you know, my, you know, a guy like me has 80 90% of it in precious metals, and I'm glad to see that. Uh, the Guggenheim folks have a lot of money in gold and silver. And the fact that he mentioned silver, and I know you and I talked ahead that he had mentioned that silver would be his, his best trade recommendation for this year. I think he made that back in February. Uh, but the fact that he mentioned silver and we see the kind of investment in silver that we do, for example, yesterday, the silver ETF uh, garnered almost 8 million ounces. Well, 8 million, that's 1% of the annual production. In, in one day, uh, just for investment, and it's needed for other things too. But And for the month, the, the trailing uh, 30 days, there have been 72 million ounces uh, put into the ETF. Well, that's about what we produce in a, in a month. So uh, it's somebody's obviously buying this stuff, and obviously he's one of them, and I'm sure there'll be many others because we keep seeing these ETFs garnering lots of purchases I kind of wish they wouldn't put it in the GLD and the SLV because I'm always worried that right. the gold and silver they own might be uh, unallocated gold and silver, i.e. it doesn't really exist. Uh, 
but the fact that these um, considered experts are all leaning in the same direction that, that we choose to lean in is uh, very supportive. Yeah. Well, you know, Eric, and too, uh, we've seen this huge ramp up in COMEX deliveries, starting with gold in April and then silver in May. Silver, I would ten or 11,000 contracts, a vast, a huge amount of silver compared to what we've seen historically. I can't even remember what the number was. Now we've got over 50,000, which is a, by far a record for June in gold. I know you want to talk about that, but then we're going to turn around and look at July silver beginning in a couple of weeks. Yeah. I, I've, uh, as I've mentioned in a few of the recent weeks, I plot this every day now. And the most stunning thing about uh, watching the COMEX is pretty well every day in gold, uh, the open interest in the current month, which is the delivery month, even though deliveries are being made, there's net buying of new contracts every day, which means that the deliveries go up, which was what you were pointing out, that we started off, I think, with 47,000 contracts thereabouts that were expected to be delivered, and we're, we're through 50,000 now. So even though the number started out big, it keeps rising. And it would also point out that even though the open interest in gold is down by 50,000, the deliveries were 50,000. In other words, in order to get the open interest down, you've got to make a delivery. Now, does that mean that the uh, open, total open interest ultimately will be delivered? Perhaps. And, and, and I'm sure that many institutions, as they're trying to buy gold and silver, think, well, fine, I'll just go into the COMEX and let's take delivery of a contract. And we've seen it in both uh, gold and silver. That uh, I think there's been, uh, in, in silver, there's been an increase of almost 50000 in the open interest while there have been net deliveries. Yeah. So, you know, as you point out, we're going to have a big month coming up here for July. So everything on the COMEX points to a tightness and a very bizarre situation where the shorts can't cover. And, you know, and Eric, there's, there's continual news of the banks, that the bullion banks that are responsible for physical delivery mainly in London, that are exiting this market, wanting to get out of it because they can't get out from under these shorts. Sure makes you wonder where it's headed because, you know, you get this impression from the media that they're, oh, everything's fine. There's going to be this V-shaped recovery and everything's going to be right back to normal, you know, by Thanksgiving. That's not going to work out that way, right? I mean, so this demand for gold and silver is not going away. No. And I think it will pick up a lot of momentum here, particularly, hey, we've gone through in the same time period we're talking about, like say the last six, seven weeks, we've gone through one of the greatest bull market rallies of all time in the stock market. Yeah. Well, now, what happens if that ends and then people have to start picking their uh, their investments a little more wisely and maybe sticking with the bond market and sticking with with gold and silver? We could see huge amounts of money pouring in here. So. Everything, everything kind of points that way, and lots of people are uh, coming on to the uh, the theory that that's where you want to be. So I think we just stay the course here. The shares sure took a beating yesterday, Eric. Um, I kind of write it off a little bit as, you know, we're just kind of in that lull period between earnings seasons. Uh, you know, it was May, and then the next one will be mainly in early August. And so there's just kind of a some profit taking. We've had a huge run. I mean, GDX is up. 60% in the last 12 weeks. So, you know, you get a little profit taking. Do you look at it that way? 
Well, you know, it's funny. I'm uh, more, maybe more of a skeptic than you might be. Uh, <laughs> I don't really trust trust the trading on on the uh, in the stock markets. I was appalled. Uh, I think it was uh, maybe on Wednesday or the maybe Tuesday when one day the gold was down some part of one percent and the stocks were down almost five. And I think, how is this making any sense? Right. And and I wouldn't be surprised if the guys, hey guys, let's take gold down a percent and we'll knock the stocks down five percent and we'll buy them all. Kind of not a bad game if you can play it. So I'm I'm very wary of sort of reading anything into uh, one day's performance amongst the, the uh, precious metals equities. I think the important thing is to realize that hey, it's seventeen hundred and forty dollar gold. The fundamentals have never been better, never. And uh, most of the fundamentals for most stocks, save some of the IT ones that, that are used more with a, in, a, in a lockdown situation, uh, the fundamentals are deteriorating rapidly. And uh, the fundamentals in gold and silver are, in fact, appreciating. And the, I think there's going to be some serious cash flows. We're probably going to get into dividend payouts and so on. And uh, I, I think the outlook for the generally for the precious metals is great. And I don't spend a lot of time looking at the daily fluctuations. I think you should use them as opportunities. If it seems like they're sold off too much, probably great opportunities to buy. Right. You recognize the long-term trend, the, the daily stuff will just drive you bats and cause you to do irrational things. But you just got to keep your eye on the long-term. And I think the long-term is in our favor. Uh, here's a long-term question for you, Eric. We had a number of questions again this week. Uh, some that are just general, and that's what I want to get your opinion on. One of them was uh, having to do with jurisdictions and uh, potential of you know mine nationalization and stuff like that. We worry about things like that, you know, in faraway places. This question was of the top five jurisdictions, and the guy says maybe it's Canada, U.S., Mexico, Peru, and let's throw in Australia. Do you have concerns about government expropriation? Uh, in gold and silver mines? Uh, of course, I'm always concerned about expropriation of just uh, grabbing the metal from people more so than the mines. And the only way I can answer the question is if I was to prioritize which ones would be the least likely to ever do that. I'd say Canada is the least likely, then Australia, uh, then the United States, then Mexico, then Peru. Uh, it can happen. Hopefully people would be compensated for it. It would only happen in a very... Uh, disastrous economic situation which we are heading into but I think that on a relative basis uh, if that were to happen you'd have already done exceedingly well with investments in in those particular areas that's a good point all right how about this one Uh, in general in terms of investing and and I know you do a lot of exploration companies and the like but do you look to reserves and resources as a primary reason or do you look at earnings per share and you know, potential cash flow, things like that. Well, of course, you have to differentiate between the explorers who won't have any cash flow and uh, the producers. In the case of producers, I actually look at earnings. Sometimes cash flow can be very misleading. If you if you overpaid for an asset and you have huge depreciation, it looks like you have lots of cash flow, but you just have money that uh, uh, that's a result of overpaying for an asset because you have to depreciate the darn thing. So I like to go to earnings. Uh, as my starting point. And of course, I'm very conscious of the cash going into the cash account too, which is a separate item. That's in, in for producers. 
in the case of explorers, believe it or not, I'm not I, I'm not strictly a guy that's into reserves. Reserves are the highest classification of of your gold inventory. I actually uh, I'm quite willing to accept the definition resources, which aren't necessarily proven up, but they look like they're there kind of thing. Right. And um, I look at resources versus market cap. Uh, I look at uh, the the likely margin on those resources. What are you going to earn on those resources? In other words, a guy can have lots of uh, resources and, and the, the grade's like 0.3 of a gram. Well, how much money are you going to make at 0.3 of a gram? So you've got to also look at the margin that you're likely to have. If somebody has a an open pit and it's got two grams, I mean, it's going to be highly profitable. Uh, if you've got uh, underground and you're above six grams, you're likely to be very profitable. So I, I look at resources and compare it to the market cap. Yeah. Speaking of market cap, that's a question that came in this week. You know, now that the Wallbridge-Balmoral uh, merger is, is complete, the market cap there is nearing a billion dollars. What do you make of that? Kind of nice, isn't it? It has a nice ring to it. It does. Partic- particularly if you're involved, it was starting getting involved when it was $50 million market cap. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, it, it does change the way you have to look at the company. So, for example, when I look at Wallbridge today, I, I say to myself, well, listen, when you're at a billion you have to appeal to a different style of investor for that stock to appreciate. And the style of investor you have to uh, appeal to is a, uh, a, a an institutional type investor. And I sense that Walbridge is now doing that. I look at the volumes and I hear about the interest in it at an institutional level. Uh, once you get to an institutional level, your upside can never be as much as when it was trading under 100 million, the leverage you get on the upside. The, the, the upside could still be a billion dollars, but if it goes up by a billion, it doubles. It doesn't go from 10 cents to a dollar, which is 10 times on your money. So it's got to be a different style of investor uh, that will come in here and move it. Um, I'm still an owner, but I also am uh, always looking for new things that might have a little more leverage than, than Walbridge. And I, I mentioned one, uh, I think, two or three weeks ago that I was involved in something called Free Gold Ventures, which at the time, I think, was a market cap of 50-odd million. It's now 100-plus. Uh, and saying, you know, this, this thing has theoretically 6 million of resources, and it was trading at, at a very low market cap. And maybe vis-a-vis Walrich, it was, had the better upside to it, which for sure it has the better upside. Uh, it's not as a, nearly as advanced as Wallbridge, but that's where the speculator comes into it, right? You're willing to to speculate that they can prove these things up and or it gets better. So uh, it's a different kind of investor needed for Wallbridge today, and uh, I think they're going to accomplish that with uh, the uptake of the coverage by the various brokers that now follow it. There were hardly any. Now there's a number of them. So in that sense, it's fulfilling that role. Exactly. Getting a, a brighter light shined upon it or shown upon it, whatever the right word is there. There's a few others I know that uh, you've looked at recently. Anything you want to share with us? Well, I just thought I'd mention, you know, a couple of things that I've been buying this week. Um, and I bought a company called G2, uh, which is operating in Guyana. 
very good drill results early days. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm a fan of uh, nice drill holes because typically one thing leads to the other. Also, about one called Galway that's drilling in Nova Scotia has had very good success. Uh, they seem to have outlined a, a very significant strike length that uh, they're drilling up and it's got good people involved. So uh, that one has been of interest to me. I bought some Teuton uh, this week. It's a name I've mentioned many times. Uh, I also bought some uh, Free Gold Ventures uh, to take me uh, north of, I don't know where I am. I'm somewhere under 30, I think. But I, I, I love the opportunity of sort of doubling up the, res- the resource there and uh, maybe uh, significant, significantly improving the grade. So that's one that, uh, that I purchased last week. Um, last stock I'll mention, unless there are questions on something, um, there was a write-up out on uh, Tudor uh, done by some group in Germany. And uh, I, I think the translation of that is available on various uh, chat lines, whether it's uh, Stockhouse or CEO.ca, um, where the uh, writer suggested, you know, if you start modeling out what they might have uh, in broad strokes, is that they could have as many as 32 million ounces of gold potential. And, of course, that's the sort of thing that intrigues me. And um, I, I see exactly how he gets it. It's, it's a pretty simple calculation. You know, it's length times width times height times specific gravity times grade. And Bob's your uncle. You got 32 million because we're dealing in bigs up there. And uh, it's very likely that they're going to extend the size of this thing. So standby could be, uh, could be one, one hell of a freight train here. And you asked if uh, specific companies. I did have a couple of other questions, though, about just uh, silver miners in general. With silver being, you know, the gold-silver ratio now is almost 100 again. And yeah. uh, you mentioned Scott Minard and Guggenheim and some of this institutional money. Uh, just in terms of silver miners, anything uh, you can kind of go back and uh, discuss there? Well, I think the, the, the two that I've invested in significantly were um, – Silvercrest and Mag Silver, uh, both of them with operations in Mexico, both high grade. One a Mag is just about to start mining. Um, Silvercrest uh, will probably make a mining decision uh, pretty soon, um, and and we're going to get a 40, new forty three one hundred one just to see how big this thing is going to be. I think they've. Uh, They've scaled it out at 1,250 tons is what the expectation is. I'm hoping that if they keep having the kind of uh, discoveries they have, maybe that uh, production number will will pick up as they uh, develop the mine. Uh, so those are the two my two key investments. Of course, in, in, in a more speculative nature, I own many other uh, silver companies. Discovery Mines is, is one of them that has this huge potential resource. Uh, I own Kootenay. I own Brixton. Uh, there's a, a silver one. I own. I probably own fifty percent of the silver, small silver stocks out there to one extent <laughs> or another. So diversified. It's hard, well, it's hard to find them. You know, they're all yeah. small. Yeah. They're very difficult to find. Even the even the major silver producers, most of them now are are mostly gold producers. The, the majority of their production is gold or some other metal other than silver. So. It's a very difficult field to play in. 
That it is. Uh, no doubt about that. Well, thank you for the help- assistance there. That helps a lot. Anything else on your mind before we wrap up, Eric? No, but I think people, uh, we're going to be facing t- tough times in the market going forward here. I, I think it's uh, wishful thinking to think that we're going to have any sharp economic recovery. Do not be fooled by you know, the fact that, uh, let's say, auto sales go up by 10% uh, in one month versus another month, they're st- but they're still down 70% year over year, you know? Right. You're gonna, they're gonna, everyone's going to try to convince you that there's this major recovery going on, but as I see it, we're almost, you know, we're, we're kind of locked out of things. How do you, how do we all move forward here with this virus racing around at, at the rate it is? So yeah. I'd be very careful in the stock market, but I think you can uh, certainly participate in the precious metals. In a sense, it's like you were supposed to earn a dollar a share and you cut your earnings estimates to 20 cents and then came in at 25 and they said, hey, you beat by 25%. <laughs> exactly. And then we're all supposed to roar in and buy the stock. Right. Which is that it's all time high. <laughs> or bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> or bankrupt. Yeah, right. Oh, goodness gracious. Well, thank you for all your time this week, my friend. Uh, I wish you uh, safety and relaxation in your lockdown location, and uh, we'll talk again next Friday. Okay. You have a great week, too, and we'll look forward to next uh, Friday. On your way out, please, folks, do not forget to stop by the store here at SprottMoney.com. I know it's hard to find some precious metal products to purchase, but Sprott Money, we've got a very good supply of 2020 Royal Canadian Mint Gold and Silver Maples, plus other various bullion products to choose from at competitive prices. So please don't forget, if you're looking to add some metal, and you probably should be, SprottMoney.com or just call us, 888-861-0775. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you again next Friday.